You're listening to Addicted to Growth. Join us each week as we sit down with sales, marketing, and revenue leaders on the front lines of innovation. New insights, new playbooks, new tech, new lessons. Step forward into growth and development or backwards into safety and security. The choice is yours. Let's get into the show. Oh, man. Um, I was just, so, hey, you're making it sound worse than I think it really is, Travis. Like, I'm like, I'm even thinking, I'm like, like what are you, what are you going to ask him, man? Like, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> Excited. I mean, I'm in my curiosity <laughs> mode, but I'm, b- before we kind of get into everything, um, everybody, welcome back to Addicted to Growth, uh, a show where Kevin and I sit down with industry leaders in the sales and marketing world. Um, and just talk a little bit about what they're doing to push forward. Um, today, we're super excited to have Kyle Coleman from Clary on. Um, and he's going to share with us a little bit about, you know, what's happening in his world over um, over there and kind of what he's doing around growth, this like concept that's kind of still, what does that mean? Like, so we want to definitely dive into that a little bit. And then also, we, we're definitely going to touch on this, this concept of empathy that I... It, see a lot of people talking about and definitely want to get how Kyle is actually implementing it and driving, you know, success with empathy in his team. Um, and also, uh, Kevin and, and, and Kyle, uh, definitely know you guys are going to have some great things to add. So welcome to the show, Kyle. Thank you so much, Travis. I really appreciate it. Thanks Kevin for having me. Of course, man. And so let's, let's kind of like give everybody a quick background of like, kind of like who you are, what you do and what you're all about over at Clary. Yeah, sure. So um, I'll actually start prior to Clary. So pr- uh, prior to joining Clary, I was uh, early at a company called Looker, a business intelligence and analytics uh, startup that was acquired by Google in the summer of 2019. I was the sixth employee at Looker back in 2013, the first kind of sales and marketing hire, doing a little bit of everything as you do at a startup, um, wearing all the different hats and doing you know website copy, coordinating trade shows, but also running deals. Um, kind of full cycle uh, deals. And I gravitated toward the SDR role as we, uh, you know, became more of an established company, you know, got our series A funding and we're like, okay, this is real now. <laughs> um, gravitated toward SDR because I really liked the, the that kind of handoff, that bridge between marketing and sales. I, I joke with people that I was a middle child or I am a middle child and growing up, I was always mediating between different parties. And so <laughs> the SDR role really lent itself to that ability to mediate between sales and marketing. Um, and I really like building process and experimentation and trying things out and, and being on the front lines and being that feedback loop to marketing and to sales and, and really um, being an accelerator for growth at at Looker. So over the course of about six years, grew the SDR team to about 65 people globally in uh, California, New York, and in Ireland, and then jumped over to Clary to uh, hopefully recreate a lot of the magic in April of 2019. Um, So the first few months, six or seven months I was at Clary, I was leading SDR as well as sales enablement. And then in the fall of 2019, we created a new growth department, which includes demand generation, field marketing, SDR, and enablement. And that's what I lead now. So any function that is responsible for, truly responsible for creating an accelerating pipeline falls to me. 
Yeah, no, thanks so much for that context. And I definitely want to dive in there a little bit about how you're doing that, right? Like how, how are you guys doing that across multiple different teams, right? There are a lot of different functions and Kevin and I talk about this a lot. Like there are a lot of different functions that go into that kitchen. Like how do you begin to orchestrate or like what sort of foundations have you set uh, that enable you guys to help, you know, generate, accelerate, close and renew pipeline? Yeah, it's a good question, Travis. I I want to specifically call out if there are SDRs listening to this. Like a lot of SDRs um, downplay their position and, and think of it really only as kind of this entry point into a company and something they can't wait to get out of. But I promise you, I would not be doing what I do today if not for the skill set that I developed as an SDR, um, including what I alluded to earlier, that fluency of language between uh, in both marketing and sales goes a really, really long way. Um, so any SDRs out there, don't discount what you're learning now and pay particular attention to the, the various languages that you have to develop the capacity to speak because it sets you up to be able to do something that's pretty unique, like the role that I'm in now, which is kind of sort of marketing, but kind of sort of sales, but not really one or the other. Um, and so what we do, and any questions about that before I continue my diatribe? No, I, I, I'm, I'm nodding my head as you're saying, because when, when you said you kind of, you naturally gravitated towards the SDR role, I'm thinking to myself, most people are like, I can't wait to get out of it. Right. So it's just, it's a really interesting concept. Um, but I'm with you. I don't think I would be in the position I'm in, right. If I didn't have that experience and, and was able to, to learn and grow from it. So just, just appreciating as like you're saying, I'm like, it's really unique. It's cool. Yeah. Just yeah. Cool. Echo. And I think that trend holds with. Oh no, I was going to say to echo, I found myself grav gravitating towards an SDR role too. I wasn't supposed to be one. It was supposed to be an account manager and ended up here. So I nice. <laughs> Love it. We're, we're all in pleasant company here. Um, and the trend is it holds for pretty much anybody, any you know executive that you see who started as an SDR, they will tell you, and there's plenty of them, by the way, they'll tell you like the skill set that I built was a foundation for what I do now. Um, so anyway, a uh, bit of a motivational <laughs> speech for some SDRs who maybe need it. Uh, <laughs> there are tough times out there right now. We got we to give everybody- Preach, man. Them. Preach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, to actually answer your question, Travis, what we do is on the growth department and what we try and do to create and accelerate uh, pipeline is we ha when we created this growth department, our CEO pulled me aside and he said, hey, Kyle, either HBR is going to write a case study about how this experiment accelerated Clary's growth and got us to the next stratosphere, or they're going to write the case study about how this was a colossal failure and no company should ever do this again. So good luck. <laughs> I was like, awesome. No pressure. No pressure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think I think it's going to be more the former. I mean, hopefully, I'm going to be more the former because it creates a really nice um, division of labor. And I intentionally don't say silo. I say division of labor so that the marketing team, brand marketing, content marketing, product marketing, they can focus on awareness and AR and PR and um, all the sorts of positioning, messaging things that they need to really focus on. The growth team can focus on the pipeline and uh, out quarter coverage and forecasting and uh, deal acceleration programs and all the sorts of things that are revenue generating. And then of course, the sales team can focus on running their deals and executing their deals. So it's a really clean, it allows for really clean handoffs and divisional labor and uh, working kind of pods together. 
So the way that we approach growth and, and pipeline creation is all very integrated as a result, Travis. Like there are not competing success criteria across our various, um, let's call them demand engines or SDR engines or anything like that. We are extremely integrated in the way that we go to market as a top of funnel team. And we don't care at all about attribution, really. I don't care, I don't care who created pipeline. I just care that pipeline got created. <laughs> and so having us all on the same team allows for us to be able to uh, entertain that gray area a little bit more and not be super grabby about who gets credit for what. Um, so it's an interesting sort of setup that way. And it, instead of fighting between one another uh, about who created the pipeline, we're just fighting together to create pipeline. And it's a big difference. I think that's really interesting because, I mean, what you sort of explained there is is sort of what Travis and I, you know, are, are constantly talking about, and it's really the direction that that I see things going. Right? It's it's sort of breaking down these silos. It's it's creating a little bit more. You know, you mentioned pod, you mentioned division of labor, but there's there's a lot more, I guess, of, of a fluid approach to to growth. Right? It's not just this brute force by sales anymore. It's not just the branding and hardcore demand gen by marketing. It all has to intertwine, right? Like the, the role of salespeople is, is evolving and they're, you know, they're becoming a little bit more of like marketers in a way and community builders because of, of how they're going to market. And so I, I love what you're doing. I love how you explained it. What I'm, what I'm curious to know as well, you know, cause you, you, you had this really, successful growth and in, in in what you accomplished at Looker, you know, and you said, all right, cool. I get to kind of recreate some of that magic. I'm sure there's something you probably went to Clary with and you're like, definitely not doing that. Right. Like tried it, failed it. Right. Like, cause I think about that myself, like every time I've, I've, I've made a move, it's like, okay, cool. Like there's, there's new things you've learned. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Was there, you know, maybe a massive failure that you, you know, at Looker you learn from and you're like, yep going to stay away from that or or something you're like you know what i'm going to double down on this because it works so well yeah it's a good question kevin i, I wouldn't necessarily um I, I don't couch really anything as a massive failure because i think the only real way you can fail is if you don't learn anything from the experience uh, otherwise I, I just think it's the normal course of business and like you're gonna fail it's inevitable you gotta fail yeah yeah right so I'll, um, I'll, I'll reframe kind of the question to be kind of what the biggest evolution was, I think, that I saw over the course of time at Looker and, and how we're uh, capitalizing on that evolution or rather um, being forward thinking about what the, the, uh, the current or the future trend of that evolution will be. And for me, and it's something I, I kind of alluded to before, it's all about what the success criteria are for demand generation. My five or six years at Looker, the success criteria for demand generation primarily was number of MQLs created. And that is an antiquated model uh, that needs to die. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, it, it, it incentivizes the wrong things. It causes rifts um, uh, between teams and among people on the same team. It complicates things. It's expensive. It's inefficient. And I wanted to avoid that like the plague when I started at Clary. And so the first thing, literally, I think week one, when I was at Clary, the first week of April in 2019, I was like, we need to all align around qualified pipeline as the number that unites us at the top of the funnel. I don't care about how many leads we're creating. I don't care about how many of those leads are qualified. I, I don't even really care about how many people are coming to the site. I care about how many opportunities are we creating that the sales team has accepted 
in accordance with these qualification criteria and the resulting pipeline of those qualified opportunities. And if we can all align around that, then that means that we're actually doing things from a top of funnel standpoint, demand marketing, field marketing, SDR, we're doing things that are actually revenue impacting. And so what's interesting about this purview that I have is we also have the enablement arm under on this growth team. And so the enablement team can create the, the uh, let's call it sales stage criteria so that everybody is on the same page, create and enforce the criteria so that everybody's on the same page and there's actually teeth behind us saying, this is the definition of qualified pipeline. This is why it matters. Here are the SLAs that we're holding everybody to for various interlocks and handoffs. And this is how you're going to abide by things and this is how we're enforcing it. And so we have a nice like full circle um, mutual accountability system built in that's always evolving. Um, man, this was a long answer to your question. I, I hope I hit on it. <laughs> no, no, you nailed it. You nailed it. Um, be, because I, I think, again, there, there's there's a lot of different pieces of this puzzle that have to come together, right? Like, I, I really think the way I'm 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 sort of looking at things is like it, it's no longer this you know kind of uh, assembly line type of an approach of like you know, MQL to SAL to, you know, op, like it's, 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 you're, you're sort of conducting this orchestra, right. And there's a lot of different moving pieces to it and it's all sort of overlapping to, to some extent. So no, you, you absolutely, you absolutely nailed it. That was great. That was great. I appreciate that. I think that's a really, really nice way of thinking about it. It's not the, the demand waterfall is not invalidated and I'm being a little glib when I say I don't care about MQLs. Like, yeah, I, I care. And, and we, we yeah. need to do what we can to create demand at the top of the funnel, but I don't care about them as the defining success criteria for the demand gen team. And that's, that's the difference to me. MQLs are not as predictive of future success as they used to be when things were more of an assembly line and the market was less crowded and there was just it, it, less, um, it was easier to break through. Um, so now, yes, the orchestra um, sort of metaphor, I think, makes a lot of sense for the way that we uh, and the good top of funnel teams are, are running their business. Yeah, and it, it, it's funny because that, that assembly line is sort of the... Uh, I, I think it's what created a lot of this finger pointing, right? Yeah. You know, an SDR took, uh, saw a lead and it was, they were handed a lead and they're like, well, I can't sell to this, you know? And then marketing is like, I'm, I'm, I'm teeing this up on a silver platter and there's probably degrees of truth on both sides of it. But I, I think being, you know, removing, you know, these silos and, and finding ways to have more of a collective common goal and working towards that common goal um, is interesting. One of the, uh, and I'm curious to get your answer on this because I think, you know, people love this idea of specialization, right? You can be, you know, uh, you can't be a master of everything that you do. You kind of have to have some specialization and focus. And so I think some people are either slow to evolve to this, this concept of, of a growth department because are you sales? Are you marketing? Kind of, you're both, right? So is it maybe within the structure or maybe it's within the types of people you hire? How, how do you sort of overcome maybe that challenge of you have to sort of be great at all? It's a really good question. I don't know the answer for every company. Um, I know that the answer for Clary is that it's baked into our DNA. You know, Clary is a revenue operations platform. 
that whose entire mission is about connecting all the various teams and members of the revenue organization and ensuring that everybody knows what their role is in the revenue process. And so it's super, it's completely natural, therefore, for Clary to be gold at the top of the funnel on pipeline because it's, like I said, it's, it's inherent in our value prop and the way we think about the world. Um, so the same probably doesn't hold for every company. It's going to be um, it's going to be more challenging, especially if you are trying to change an established motion as opposed to creating a new motion, which we are doing at Clary as a startup. Um, so no easy answer there, but it's all about again. It's as simple as and as complicated as agreeing on what the right success criteria are, the right success metrics are for the various teams. And if you can align on that, that's kind of the, the tip of the spear that you need uh, in order to do the rest and, and ensure that everybody can, can fall into that mindset. I love that. And, and one thing that makes me think about too is like you mentioned like revenue operations platform, like those three words. When I was first starting as SDR, revenue operations, what? Like it, it's not a thing that people like hear, but now it's like, there's a, you guys have a whole business that's on revenue operations, right? So I guess, could you talk a little bit about um, either the approaches that you guys are bringing that might be a little bit different than people are used to, or maybe the, the playbooks that you're helping kind of create because like to have, to just be revenue operations minded, is already like that that's a mindset that has to be coached and developed for companies at this point because most of them aren't thinking like that so could you talk to that a little bit kyle yeah for sure and i, I certainly don't want to turn this into a, a clary pitch so i will do my best to to not make it that way um but i i it's a new category revenue operations is it's it's not very firmly established and there you could ask 15 different people what the definition of RevOps is and you get 15 different answers right now that's kind of the current state of affairs what it according to clary what revenue operations is not is it's not simply a coming together of marketing ops sales ops and cs ops under an umbrella that's not what it is that is too narrow a focus on what this mindset and what this philosophy can do for you and your company. Rather, revenue operations is thinking about revenue as an end-to-end -end business process that can be dissected into component parts, and each of those component parts can be optimized in service of one another. So your revenue, everybody has a stake in this revenue process, let's say at the top of the funnel. And our uh, role in this process is to create, again, qualified pipeline and then to accelerate that pipeline. And our interlock to the sales team is what our out quarter forecast is for how much of this qualified pipeline we're creating is actually going to close. So once we hand this pipeline off to the sales team, then they run their business and their interlock and their handoff is how much of that they're forecasting to turn into closed revenue. And then once it's post-sale, the CS team is doing the same thing where they're uh, educating, they're firming up the use case, they're expanding the footprint, and their interlock and their handoff process back to the top of the funnel is how much we're going to be able to um, upsell and renew and close to inform the operating plan, to inform the marketing budget, to start the flywheel all over again. Yeah, you just that's, a, that's a really elegant way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, you just took me through a four by eight that had seamless handoffs like Michael Johnson was receiving from Usain Bolt every single time. <laughs> exactly yeah i think my product marketing team would be proud of me right now they would be i gotta be honest i think uh good thing we're recording this and so we can give it back to you because that was i'll be honest i'm like as you're saying i'm like yeah i i think that too but like that sounds a lot nicer like 
I've been well coached. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I live it. And seriously, guys, like we live it every day. And, and that's a cool thing about it. And it's not just us, of course, it's, it's mostly our customers that are teaching us how they use the product internally. And we're like, oh my goodness, that is really smart. <laughs> we need to go to market with that message. So it's that's Voice a cool of the customer thing is powerful. Kind of startup like this. Yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah. I, I have a question on that too, actually, Kyle. How much, um, also being the community builder that I am, um, how much do you guys kind of use your community as a, as a supplement to what you guys are doing internally? Because one thing that I've experienced from, you know, being in Microsoft's and Google communities and seeing how much the communities actually add to the product, like how much of you guys um, kind of worked with your community to come up with, you know, things to add, iterate and that sort of thing? Great question, Travis. We do a very nice job listening to our customers and our, our customer success team is incredible um, in, in the way, how much they care, genuinely care about the prospects. Um, and I don't even mean from a, a revenue standpoint, I mean just caring personally about the people that they're working with and supporting. So constantly soliciting feedback that way. Um, what we need to do a better job of and what we're doing now is creating more of a peer-to-peer community so that customers can connect with one another and talk shop and trade ideas and things like that. This is the main focus of our field marketing and now virtual field marketing strategy is um, kind of creating these smaller intimate events where customers and prospects can just talk about what's ailing them and how they're solving things, how they're thinking about things, then particularly useful in this post-COVID era for people just to uh, commiserate with one another about what, what the heck is going on and what they need help with. Um, but if once we figure out the right way to get folks talking to one another, and I don't mean in like forums on Clary.com because that's boring, um, but you know, if we can figure out a better way to do it, that is going to be the, our kind of secret to success for, for building out that community and having the best ideas truly get well vetted and then bubble up to the top for our product team. Yeah. You know what? I, so I've, I've actually attended something like that as a customer with one of my vendors and it, they, you know, they entitled it a circle of success. And of course mm-hmm. we were able to be in person, but there was like, you know, 12 of us in a, in a room, we all kind of went around and we talked about like, what do we want to learn today? What are some topics we want to kind of talk through? And it was just like really cool to just to see, you know, like, your peers, like other people that are using this tool, you know, and some people had like tremendous knowledge that they would be like, Oh, like I've already figured that out. I I overcame that challenge, you know, and like it kind of, it did, it built this little sense of community, which was nice, but then they had their, you know, their customer success team there, their account management team there. And it was just like crazy note taking because that's just that voice of the customer is so powerful that can then inform your messaging, inform your product enhancements, inform, you know, pretty much everything that you guys do. So um, it, it's, it's an awesome thing. And as a, as a customer, I felt, I kind of walked away from there being like, this is cool. Like they care about me. They, they're, 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 they're interested in my, my success. So um, right. it's an awesome way to think about it for sure. Yeah. And I know we're going to talk a lot about uh, empathy here coming pretty soon. And Travis, nice headphone switch there. Uh, That was impressive. Um, But it really is an empathetic way to show your customers that you care about them. Because when we set these things up, and I'm I'm sure, Kevin, it was your experience as well, you, you weren't sitting in that room to be sold to. You were sitting in that room just to have a conversation. And yeah. that is, and that is the way that you get your customers to do your selling for you, and to really create real relationships, and, and to expand in a more organic and more empathetic way. Oh, I love that so much! And 
I'm appreciate the shout out for the headphone switch. I heard the little beep and I was like, hmm, nah, I should probably switch now. Um, but I definitely want to definitely dive in on this topic of empathy and um, how you view it, Kyle, because you, you shared something with me uh, during the pre-interview conversation. And um, I just kind of want you to talk on that for a little bit because you, you had some unique perspectives, especially to the current state of the word in the world that we all live in right now. And um, I definitely want to just hear your take and, and just go ahead and, and start taking away on that topic because I'm... Yeah, for sure. Um, so it's the probably the most popular word on LinkedIn right now is empathy. Yeah, empathy is the new synergy. You know, like <laughs> we, we, I think people are sick and tired of hearing empathy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I can't blame them because it's um, without unpacking what it means or, or rather how to do it, it's meaningless. And so you get people that are saying kind of one of two things. They're like, you really need to be empathetic in your, in your sales cycle. And that's all they'll say. Or you get the people that are like, if you weren't already empathetic, then you're doing it wrong already. And they don't say anything more. It's like, it's not, neither of those things are helpful. Um, so when I'm talking about empathy, I'm talking about truly understanding what the day-to-day -day pains of your prospect, what they're going through what's preventing them from doing their job um, maximally well or efficient, whatever it is. And then in the sales cycle, understanding and, and truly empathizing with the objections that you get, especially as an SDR, and finding the right path forward that creates a good prospect experience, that creates a good personal experience for the person on the other side of the phone. So I actually just posted something about this recently um, on LinkedIn. I was thinking back to my, my approach as when I was an SDR um, back in the day and, and then sort of this experience that has informed the way that we now approach things at Clary uh, from an SDR perspective. And I, I was making calls, as you do as an SDR and connected with somebody on a cold call and got through my, my first pitch, you know, hey, the reason for my call is this, and here's a little value prop for your persona. And the person said to me, I, I'm really not interested. And at this point, like most SDRs get kind of flustered or they'll have some robotic response about why the person should be inter interested or something like that. But for me, an empathetic response is what I said to him was, well, what are you interested in right now? And he was like, oh, um, well, I'm completely heads down building this Salesforce dashboard for my executive team. Like I don't, just don't have time right now. And in my head, I thought, oh, he's not not interested. He just doesn't have the time right now to hear me out because he's, he's working on an executive project. Like that sounds important. <laughs> so again, at this point in the, in the call, a lot of sales trainers will say, well, now you know that you can push and it's because like a timing thing. So try and get time on his calendar, right? And my approach is he just says, he just says he's not interested. He's working on this high value project for his execs. And so my response was, thanks for taking the call. I'll leave you to it. Good luck. And his response was like shocked, like, oh, again, like, you're not going to keep trying to sell to me? Like, what's, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, thank you. Um, okay. And that was it. So that was the extent of the call. It was 45 seconds long. Now, the truly empathetic approach doesn't stop just on this call by conceding to that person and being like, shoot, un I how am I going to overcome this hurdle? What an objection. <laughs> uh, and just move on to the next one. Instead, what I did 
was right after the call ended, I sent a follow-up email that again, thanked him for his time. Um, I'm genuinely appreciative of taking the time when he's in the midst of, of a pretty all-encompassing project here. And then I sent him a piece of content from Salesforce. He was creating a, a Salesforce dashboard for his execs. So I sent him a piece of Salesforce's content that was all around best practices for dashboard building. It had nothing to do with my product, with me, with anything. It was entirely value add based on the project that he was working on. I didn't get any response from him, um, but I didn't necessarily expect to. Two days later, I sent another blog post again from salesforce.com that was about metrics that executives care about. And that was it. I just sent him the blog, said, hey, saw this pop up in my feed, thought it'd be interesting to you, sent it over again, no response. Three, three days later, I made another offer and was like, hey, a friend of mine, I just remembered, a friend of mine is a, actually a sales engineer at Salesforce. If you need anything, like, let me know. We're happy to help. And again, no response from him. But a couple of days after that, or I think it was actually the next day after I did the SE thing, he submitted a request demo form on our site. And so at that point, this was maybe what, a five or seven days after my initial call to him. So he submits the request demo form. I call him. We talk about the project that he worked on. He had delivered it, uh, created the dashboard, delivered it. Everything went well. We talked a little bit about how my analytic solution, again, this was back when I was at Looker, how my analytic solution was different than what Salesforce could do. Jumped on a demo with our AE. We showed uh, a, a tailored demo that was all about the shortcomings and perils of Salesforce dashboard building and reporting and how Looker could bring in multiple data sets and do things a little bit differently and more comprehensive. And hey, here's how your execs will care even more about the output of this. Uh, he turned into a trial and then two months later, he turned into a customer. And to me, that is what empathetic sales is. Yeah, I mean, like that. Sorry, that, can you we just, like, um, sorry, y'all, Kevin. Uh, community listening, that is what we call a home run, slam dunk, grand slam, whatever analogies you guys can think of. Um, yeah, Kevin, go ahead, because I know your yeah, brain's so, going over there. Yeah, brain's going over here. So yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. Like that's that's amazing, and I think you know part of it is. The first thing I'm going to say is going to sound very obvious, but it's like add, just adding value, like understanding what their problems are and what you did, which I think more people need to expand their minds on is how do I add value that may not be my product, right? Because that's what people are looking for. People are looking for help, right? And whether you can help them with your product or through, through building a relationship, you're able to help them with other things. It, it's going to kind of form, it's going to form that trust right? It's going to form a little bit of credibility and knowledge. Um, but it also seems like you tried to create a very frictionless conversation or process, right? So instead of saying, well, I haven't really told you much, what do you, what aren't you interested in? Like that's friction. It's like, Oh, oh like, you know, but, but like the way you're like, Oh, like, what are you interested in? It was like, like, kind of keeps it going like it keeps the, the, it keeps it moving, you know, adding value with blogs and content is, is amazing. So I love that. I can kind of get the sense like you, you, you approach this and you think about this very, very differently than most, right? Where does that come from? I think it comes from 
it's a good question. I don't know. I, I think I, I studied psychology um, and marketing in college. So maybe some of these kind of psychological principles about just like keeping people happy <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. is important to me. Um, trying to not burn any bridges um, always and, you know, trying to genuinely trying to help people is kind of my my main mission in life. It's what directed me more toward a managerial path in the first place. Um, and so I've always just taken that approach to, to be genuinely helpful in, in ways, whatever way I could. And if it's my solution that they end up purchasing, great. If it's not, that's cool too. As long as they get done what they're trying to get done, like that's really what's most important. I think it's interesting too, because for a lot of us, I mean, I know personally, I have customers that I've sold into different solutions and across multiple different companies, right? Because I didn't just try and exactly. force something down somebody's throat. I was able to add value, help them, whether it was with that product or something different to your point, which allowed me, gave me sort of the permission to go back and, and have additional conversations with people. You know, and I, I love asking kind of these questions about like where it comes from, because to me, and it's like a topic I'm, I'm always just thinking a lot about, but if you're a high performing sales professional or high performing marketer, you're probably a high performing human, right? And like when it comes to empathy, you know, that's, that's, you hear that a lot when you interview a sales candidate. Oh, like I'm, I'm empathetic. I love helping people. I, I got into sales because I love to help. Well, how do you help people in your normal life? You know, and then like oh, sometimes you get someone who's like, they volunteer, they do this, like they've got some really good answers. And then other people are like, Oh, shit, like, I don't like I, I actually really don't help people. I don't like I just think that's what you want to hear, you know, yeah. so like, you know, kind of looking at the parallels of personal to professional life um, is, is super, super interesting. It's funny you say that. Uh, and this is a complete aside. So forgive me here. But I have completely stopped asking SDRs, SDR candidates in interviews to pitch me on my product. I found that to be a completely useless exercise that yielded no information that I ever used in my evaluation of their candidacy. Instead, I asked them to pitch me on a passion of theirs. What is it that you do outside of work that is rewarding and fulfilling to you and convince me I should care about it? And then we just have like a five or 10 or sometimes even like a 30 minute conversation about this thing. And if they're excited about it and they communicate well about it, then my takeaway and my evaluation criteria is all I need to do is excite them about Clary and they'll be able to do the same thing uh, to pitch my product. So I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that one, but I'll give, I'll give you credit when I, when I steal it and bring it to work. <laughs> yeah. Nah. And to that, Kyle, I love that because I've, I've obviously been through a bunch of different, you know, interviews as an SDR. And one of the things that I always, I always laugh about and I'm like, you, you really asked me to on the fly give you a demo of what y'all have a whole team of people to build and do. And you're asking me about things that like I'm coming up, I'm feeling nervous. I'm feeling weird. And like for other SDRs out there that are like going through this hiring process, it's like, Hey, if you hear these sorts of things, like really think about what you're walking into. Like if they're asking you to do these sorts of things, like I've picked up a couple of like red flag moments when you're going through this process, right? So um, one, if you try to ask them anything about how they sell or their process or their customers and they don't want to tell you, <laughs> woo, 
we might as well get up and leave that room right now. Like you, and that part always hits me because when you're early on, you just don't know, right? Like you don't know that you're supposed to like ask these questions. So I'm, right. I love that you brought that up because it's, yeah. it's so true that nobody talks about it. The, the best story I've heard on, on this topic was, it was, um, and it was an SDR. They were, they were interviewing, same thing. Come give us like the, you know, the five minute pitch on our product. And every step of the process was, you know, going really, really, really well, well for this person. They go, they pitch the, the product. They don't get the job. They ask for feedback. And I was like, oh, I, just, I don't think you really like understood what we did. And they go, that's what your website says you do. <laughs> right. And it's like, go fire your marketing team then because yep. you're, if you're telling me, I don't know what you do and everything I took like verbatim copy off your website. I'm not the one that's wrong here. And then it was like, you know what? Maybe this is a good thing, you know? So I, I, I laugh when I hear those, these types of things. Cause it's, it's, it's one of those age old things. Like, you know, I think there's, there's, there, there's a little bit of merit to it, but I think it's just an exhausted old school approach for sure. Agreed. Yeah. And, and Kyle, quick question on uh, what you'd say to SDRs when they have their leaders tell them that they need to stop pointing prospects away from their products. Like any advice in that situation? Um, so in this situation, the, the management is saying only send content that is created by us. Yeah. Cause I can only imagine, right? Like I've been in the seat myself. I legit would send podcasts of my favorite people to teachers, superintendents, to principals. I'm be like, Hey, I just listened to, you know, Seth Godin yesterday. And like, this thing was fire. Like you need to check that out. And they would appreciate it. They loved it. But then they're like, Trav, why are you sending people to Seth Godin's content if you're selling an ed tech product? I'm like, yeah. cause they, they want to listen to that. Like, no. Yep. So my response, uh, and this is a tagline I picked up from uh, the CEO of a company called Alice. Uh, they're a direct mail company based out of Boston. His name's Greg. And he taught me this little tagline. You have to care about the person behind the persona. And that would be my answer to you, Travis, is that if you care about the person behind the persona, then you want to send them things that they'll care about regardless of the author. Now, you probably don't want to send them things that are from your competitors um, <laughs> because hopefully your internal product marketing team has created better content that's specific to the, the use case you're solving. But uh, again, I'm person behind the persona. And if you can show them you care about them, genuinely care about them, and not just, hey, here's a piece of content. When's the best time for us to chat? <laughs> like, it's, it makes a huge difference in the cycle. So I, I got a question for you because... I, I've heard the phrase, you know, there's, there's certain aspects of sales you just can't teach, right? And I, I feel like I commonly hear empathy fall into that bucket, right? You just, I just can't train empathy, right? You either care or you don't. A, do you think you can train empathy or do you think you have to just kind of hire for the right DNA, or if you believe you can train empathy, what's your approach? Yeah, so it's like probably a combination, Kevin. You need to hire people that have the, the right mindset. Like you don't want to hire a sociopath who's literally <laughs> incapable of empathy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, like you, you need to, uh, and you, you already mentioned a few different ways that you can sort of suss this out through an interview process to see, does this person truly espouse these virtues of, 
having this empathetic muscle that they could flex in the sales cycle. And then it's 100% up to the manager, I think. Well, maybe not 100%, but it is largely up to the managers to say how to do this, especially for, like, let's face it, kids coming out of college in their first SDR role, probably their first one of their first professional roles they've ever had, they legitimately don't know how to do this and do this well. And so if managers are unable or unwilling to show how to do this in a thoughtful and strategic way, you're setting your SDR team and your sales team up for failure uh, as a result. So I think it's a little bit of both, but I, I, I would never say it's untrainable as long as the person is willing to actually practice. Um, it's not rocket science. It, like we've talked about before, it's just caring about the person and trying to find things that are going to be valuable to them. And, and it's as simple as that. Yeah, I love that. And I forget where I learned it from, but early on in my career, someone literally said to me, Trav, they're like, if anything else fails, like think back to meeting people where they are. And to kind of make that a concrete example, if you're an SDR and someone literally says to you, hey, like, we don't even have, you know, technology in our departments right now. Like, I'm just trying to fight to get budget for that. And thinking about like, oh, well, how far away is like budget in a school that doesn't have technology away from using an advanced education technology platform? I'm like, oh, well, they're they're a couple of months, maybe some years away from us right now. So let me go ahead and point you into the direction of these resources. Maybe you can partner with a school that has one-to-one laptops for their, you know, students. And maybe you can share. And like, that's how we get this done for you. But for me to try to put you into our pipeline and pass you to an AE doesn't make any sense. You're too far away from where we're at, right? So just like if you can think about okay, what am I literally saying to this person and where am I trying to get them? And realizing that that gap is this big, don't put your resources and efforts into trying to accelerate them through the pipeline because you're not going to be able to get them a whole slew of computers and technology to use your product. Like, just not going to make sense. Totally. I couldn't agree more. Um, There is a time and a place for these types of the different types of sales tactics. And this, um, this kind of approach that I uh, outlined before with my little anecdote about my Salesforce dashboard buddy is kind of what I think about as a manual drip. So it's a it's a drip sort of it steals or borrows from marketing automation um, principles, but it's manually executed by an SDR or by a salesperson to identify those scenarios, uh, unique scenarios, Travis, that you just outlined, like what does this person or what does this account have that's unique about them? What is their unique objection right now or their current state of affairs? And what can I do to actually add value in a longer tail sort of way? That is, it's not going to be automated necessarily, um, but you know, with tools like Sales Loft and Outreach and all the different ways that you can ha- keep yourself organized, it's not really that difficult to pull off. It just takes effort. And that little bit of effort is uh, challenging for a lot of teams, especially teams that are um, behaving, Kevin, as you outlined, like in a more antiquated way, where it's largely based, their success criteria is based around quantity. And they're held accountable, let's say an SDR is held accountable to a certain number of dials per day, and is handcuffed by that number, and is not given the license to think for themselves. And if you're not giving your SDRs the license to think, then you're, you've just hired people that may as well be robots dialing a phone. So that's also sort of this competing thing that we're in this uh, midst of an evolution of right now is this quantity-based 
predictable revenue Aaron Ross type formula that worked in the 2000s and early 2010s does not work anymore. The market is way too crowded. There is way too much noise. And the SDRs that are successful and that successfully make the jump into sales are ones who build the strategic muscle early and use that in their SDR process. Yeah, I mean, you got to be able to think, right? You got to be able to connect the dots. You have to understand, you know, there, you, too much of our of the conversations that salespeople have are they're very they're fluid, right? You have to go think on your feet. You have to understand their marketplace, your marketplace, that persona, that account, those challenges, and how does it all connect, right? And if you're not doing that, then you're just pushing products and features onto people that really don't need it. All right. And then, you know, Travis, and to your point, if you, if you have that, that, that muscle memory, right. And you can kind of connect all these dots, you're going to be able to make smarter decisions on how and where to spend your time. Because that's the one thing for, for, for salespeople. The one thing that is limited is our time. Yep. Nobody like I've got 24 hours in a day. You got 24 hours a day. No one's got 25. Right. So where we spend our time is probably the most important element for a salesperson. And if it's just this machine-like robotic, it's, it's actually, and it's probably unfortunate to be a short-lived career because you, when, you, when you have the opportunity or you make that jump, there's gonna be some unique challenges there. For sure. I love that. And one thing I just wanna jump in real quick about this idea of thinking, like that's what made me like strong, right? Like whether or not I was number one, number two, whatever. But like for me, I found that flexing and massaging my ability to think through books, through podcasting, through conversations is what enabled me to then sit back and say, oh, wow, like, did you guys know that they don't even have one-to-one computer technology in their schools? And they're like, no, like, we just sent them a proposal for 300 grand. What you mean? And I'm like, well, you're not getting that thing closed, bro. I don't think, I don't know where you're <laughs> sending that, but it's just not, it's not taught. And so definitely just wanted to, to harp on that. And I think this is the second time I did this, but like this book I just picked up, yeah. Limitless by Jim Quick. It's one of those like, hey, this is how I learn. I'm picking up little things to keep sharp. And so SDRs, if you're not training yourself to think and use your brain in a more efficient way, and you're having someone else kind of tell you what to be doing, start trying to flip that upside down a little bit and, and do yourself a favor and do the research and try to find ways to enhance your cognitive abilities. Because the thing that we all didn't like, and I'm sure a lot of people listening can say like, remember critical thinking in school and how much you didn't want to do it? Like, yeah, now you need to turn that critical thinking back on and use that a little bit. Just like I couldn't agree more. And I, I think uh, a lot of people ask me for like book recommendations for, you know, how, how do I become a better salesperson? Uh, what's the best sales book you've ever read? I'm like, the best sales book I've ever read is not a sales book. Like it, to me, learning and, and thinking in an interdisciplinary way, in a cross-functional kind of way and learning about, you know, uh, behavioral economics and psychology and marketing principles, but also like studying poetry and learning about the, the economy of word choice and the rhythm of how things flow. And like, there's lessons to be learned about becoming a better salesperson pretty much everywhere. It's just a matter of you, as Travis, you just said, connecting the dots for yourself and thinking more broadly about all these various things that can influence your, your performance as a salesperson. 
Yeah, no, I love that. And on that topic real quick, what books would you remove from the, you just got started as a sales rep, I'm going to give this to you in your backpack and everything else that I just dropped to you. I'm um, very curious. Uh, for somebody who stopped reading. <laughs> for somebody who just became a sales rep, I think that like the spin selling, gap selling, the literal sales methodology books is too much too fast. I always recommend that people start out with something a bit lighter, um, like Dale Carnegie's uh, How to Influence People. Um, And like Adam Grant's Give and Take is another really good one. Um, uh, Daniel Pink has To Sell as Human is another really good one just to get started and just to think more broadly about all the various ways that sales is impacting your day and all outside of work, inside and outside of work, and all the different things that you as a person can bring to your vocation to do a good job. Um, so I think it's I think it's a mistake to try and expect people to like pick up Challenger as soon as they start as a rep and take home all of its lessons and become an expert. Um, yeah, it's almost like you have to set the foundation of just like here's how to talk to people right before you actually go into like the tactical selling approaches because I think that's when for for me I think that's kind of like when the penny dropped for me with, with sales was I, I started getting comfortable with how like the back and forth and how to ask the right types of questions and how to keep a conversation going in a frictionless manner, right? Yes, there is a ton of tactical selling that doesn't come natural, right? Like, I think that's one of the things too, is that selling and some of these really tactical things, like they don't really come natural with how you ask questions and and, and all that. So I love that you're taking more of that foundational, you know, here's how you, here's how you kind of interact and here's how you communicate with people because yeah, I think some of that tactical stuff will be more impactful when you have that that base down. Yeah, and the technologies that we have as SDRs and salespeople to help with the tactics, whether it's outreach or sales loft or a, a tool like Clary that's going to help with deal acceleration, deal execution. Um, a lot of that tactical stuff is solved with technology now, or at least uh, it is made more easy with technology. Yep. But yep. the mindset kind of stuff, the foundational layer that you need to build the house on that's not solved with technology. There are no shortcuts. It is manual work and you can't do it if you're not curious about it and you don't genuinely want to improve yourself. Um, so I'll get off my soapbox now. No, I love it. Ah, it, it, it stay there. It, yeah, it, it's amazing. You know, one of the things we talked about too is, and you, you brought it up is, you know, the, the amount of technology that is available to people is crazy, right? And, and we're, we're talking like, these were things that didn't really exist or were talked about 10 years ago. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's noisy, it's crowded. And I think a lot of people fall into this pitfall. We're like, oh, we have to like grow pipeline. We have some like, you know, some things broken, boop, insert technology and everything's fixed. And we know that that never works. It, besides for Clary, of course, but is there, is there a category? Is there a technology that you're like, man, I just can't live without this right now? Uh, LinkedIn Sales Navigator is the number one. Um, I think that it is just such an easy, it's, it's such a comprehensive way to think about, well, A, to do your research on what the best fit accounts are that are in your ICP and in your region or whatever it may be. Um, but also it's, the, it's such a great way to find the actual people that are involved, learn about them again as people, look at the kinds of things they're posting and publishing, check out their other social channels on Twitter or Facebook or whatever else. Um, and, and really be able to have a, a, a personalized approach to your sales methodology 
And I don't, th- I don't know how we would do it without LinkedIn. Yeah, I'd say sales nav is like super helpful, especially when you're thinking about like, okay, how do I purse? Like, how do I, like, what is, what are they posting about? Like, what are their company pages saying? What are the employees in different departments saying? And like, how do you get yourself into the conversation in a way that adds value? Kind of like similar to your earlier story. Like, hey, I saw that someone from IT said that they're having trouble with this integration. So let me, hey, I know so-and-so works on integrations but with, with sales teams of this size. Like, wonder if they might be able to help you in this, in this time. Like, just thought it might help. Like, yep. if you think like that, you'll find that A, you'll build better connections and relationships. But then B, like a lot of your work of selling will get done for you by not trying to hammer down this process that you were taught or this method that you just learned at a, as, at a webinar or a sales training. And like, you'll literally just, to your point of, of empathy earlier, like you'll just do good for the sake of doing good right. and then the results will follow and that's how i've always been right like if i know a deal won't close for two years i don't care i'll just say hey look like they're not ready two years from now they will be ready and like i'm going to plant that seed now so that way pipelines generated for future but like we don't get paid on that but like that's not what i cared about like in sales i never was motivated by make like when i first got in yes but i was trying to make more money and all that stuff yes but as i got in i'm like I know I'm not, I don't, I'm not driven by money. And I think that's an important thing for other leaders to think about. Like when you have a sales rep, that's not money motivated. And it's like, well, what drives them and how can they be a part of this culture and not throw spiffs at their face and, you know, vacations and iPads and all this stuff. Like that stuff doesn't motivate me. So my bad for getting on my soapbox, but it's just like thinking like, okay, if you can add value always um, and figure out, you know, what motivates people, I think it's kind of at the core of what makes a good, a future salesperson. So off soapbox. I I totally agree with that, Um, Travis, by the way, that's my approach as well. And I don't mean to, uh, you know, throw shade on anybody who is a bit more coin operated because there's a time and a place for that kind of persona on your sales team as well. Um, But there's nothing at all wrong with the playing the long game, taking the longer approach, you know, think back to the example I outlined, like a lot of people think that objection handling is only done in real time. And that's not the case objection handling can be done over that two year period that you just mentioned, Travis, like it's a it's a long game. And you need to treat every situation differently. And like, yeah, you can have little scripts and little snippets that you use to, to try and, you know, give somebody one quick response to an objection, but you need to approach every situation as its own and treat everybody as an individual. And that, again, is what empathy truly is. I love it. As and I'm also trying to be conscious too. I'm like, man, we have five minutes. I know we all have meetings to hop to right after this. Um, but Kyle, one, if we leave, if you leave us with one thing, one piece of advice, guidance, uh, direction, like what would you want that to be for everyone kind of listening in? Think. Take time to think and be strategic thought partners with the people that you work with. If you're an SDR challenge yourself to be a strategic thought partner with your AEs. If you're an AE, do the same with your SDRs. Um, Sales is a team sport and you can't operate well as a team if you're not thinking together, strategizing together and executing together. So use your brain. Oh man, love I love it. it. What I'm already like, Kevin, Kyle, we need a part two. I can't, I can't stop because it, it, it's going to have to happen. So, uh, I appreciate you, Kyle, for coming on. And uh, Kevin, anything else you want to close out on? No, man. No, man. This was great. Ah, your microphone.
This literally, if we hit like the hour mark, Kevin's microphone mark. does this every time. Every time. That's great. <laughs> I'm telling you, my, my mic just gets tired. I need to get like some endurance training over here with my mic or something. I don't know. But yeah, like right at this time. Every time. to do something about this, Trav. Uh, it's all good. I'll send my, my text out there and we'll get it fixed. But yeah. Kyle, this was a pleasure. Um, thanks again for hopping on. Um, and yeah, I can't wait till, you know, the next one. Oh, where can people find you? Yeah, uh, LinkedIn is, is really the only social channel I'm active on. Um, okay. So just look me up there. I, I don't even know what TikTok is. And I plan to keep it that way. So yeah, LinkedIn. Stay in the I'm dark, with you, my bro. friend. I'm with don't, you. don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> cool, guys. Thanks so much for having me. This has been an absolute pleasure. I will be down for part two whenever you want to do it. Oh, that's music to my ears. Thanks for listening to Addicted to Growth. If you learn something new, don't be shy. Let people know. The best way to learn a new skill is to practice day in and day out. Go execute something you just learned this week with your community. Until next time.